This is Come and See from the St. Andrew's Anglican Church for October 16th, 2011. The Gospel is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 15 through 22. The message is by Father Ron Baird. Today's Gospel lesson, there are two groups of Jews who come to Jesus to test him. One of the groups is the Pharisees, who we hear a lot about. And the other group is the Herodians, which actually are only mentioned twice. Both are, are uh, groups of religious Jews who have a certain way of looking at things. To kind of give you an idea of what these people are like, it's like um, if Pharisees were like the um, Southern Baptists and the Pentecostals the other day. And they believed in purity of the word and, and really striving to to live a righteous life, and the emphasis that they put on was doing all those right things, and, and as a result, then, they had opinions about how things ought to be done, and what kinds of things ought to be done, you know, what sort of things should you do in your daily life, and how that impacts it. The Herodians, on the other hand, were, they were called Herodians because they were supporters of Herod the Great, and they were, they were still a religious group. They were kind of like um, the mainline liberal Protestants of their day. And again, they, they you know, had faith and stuff, but they believed that you had to take the Word and apply it to your contemporary situation and, and, and you know, make sure that, that things are being done correctly. And they believed that you influence things through the political um, ways of the world, such as Herod. And as a result, after Herod's gone through the, um, um, through the Romans. Now, those two groups did not like each other at all any more than they do today. So you can tell automatically that something's up when they get together to go talk to Jesus. He's in trouble. And you can tell even more so when they go because they say, teacher, we know that you are learned in the law and that you speak the truth with impartiality, always being fair to everyone. You're always in trouble if your enemies are buttering you up. I mean, something's coming down that's not going to be good. And they said, so tell us, should, is it legal to pay the emperor's tax or not? Now, I know you all wish he had said no, but that's not what he said. Is it legal to pay the emperor's tax or not? And Jesus has already seen through all this, and he goes, you hypocrites, why do you put me to the test? And then he does something interesting. He says, show me... A coin, the coin that you pay the tribute with. Now, this is what's interesting, because you have to remember, the emperor's tax is essentially a tribute. Um, in those days, if, when you had an occupying country, they would come in and you had to pay to support those troops and, and pay for everything that happened. It was called tribute. And so they had to pay it. But the problem in Israel was that that was Gentile money, and it wasn't kosher. The money that Israel used were shekels, and if you recall the money changers in the temple, that's why they were there, was because you had all these different currencies going around, and you couldn't use a denarius in the temple, and you couldn't use a shekel to pay your tribute with. It'd be almost like, you know, having Confederate money and, and Northern money, you know, paper money in the Civil War and trying to, to swap. I mean, just, they didn't do that. And so, he says, show me the coin that you pay the tribute with. And, and the tribute was something that was offensive to people 
because it basically paid to support the troops who were there occupying their country. I mean, so it wasn't something they thought was a good idea. I mean, they didn't really want to pay it. They didn't really want to be part of that. They didn't want the people there. Go away, leave me alone. And, and so they resented it. On the other hand, it was required by the government or else the Rome came down on you. On the front of this coin, it had a picture. And the picture on the front of it was of Tiberius Caesar, who was the, the, the emperor at the time, which is why Jesus says, whose picture is on this? But what's interesting is what's on the back of it. Because on the back of that same coin, and they found them, and they, they have some, is a picture of Livia, who is the goddess Pax. Pax means peace in Rome. And, and it was done that way on purpose because the peace of Rome was huge. I mean, when they conquered your country, they, they believed they were bringing peace and stability to the world. And they did because if you got out of line, they killed you and it got peaceful real quick. So it was peace. But to the Jews, it was an insult. So they didn't like it at all. Now, why did he say, show me a coin? A lot of people you know, think this all has to do with where he goes with it, which is true. But what we forget about is the slow part. Did it ever occur to you these are Pharisees and Herodians, very devout Jews? Yeah, why do they have one of those? <laughs> I mean, the mere fact they had to pull it out of their pocket and show it to him, said to the crowd who they were trying to trap him with, well, they certainly got theirs, don't they? Because most of the people in the crowd didn't have money. You know, they would have to go trade in a chicken or something to get one so that they could even pay the tax because they couldn't afford it. But these guys are walking around with coins in their pocket. We don't think a whole lot about it now because people frequently have money. But in those days, it was primarily a barter system. And so merely the fact that you were able to carry money meant that you were sort of the elite and special. So Jesus has already begun to undermine their trap um, by asking this question. And then he asks them this question. He says, whose picture is on this? Well, the emperor's. That's good. Give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's and give to God the things that are God's. It says they went away amazed. Now, I don't think they were amazed because they were really impressed with him. If you recall, they still were going to try to kill him. They were amazed that he was able to get out of this trap. They, had, they couldn't figure out, you know, if he says yes, you should pay it, then the crowds are going to turn against him because the Messiah is the one who's supposed to liberate Israel and free them from bondage. But if he says no, the Romans are going to come in and kill him. I mean, this is a no-win situation. And instead, what he's done is turn it into an entirely different conversation, which is render to Caesar the things of the Caesar, render to the world the things that belong to the world, and render to God the things that belong to God. And they were shocked. Because to answer that, or to get more into it, they had to answer a fundamental question. What belongs to Caesar, and what belongs to God? Now, that's a perennial question. It always goes on. I mean, it's not knew it was going on then, it goes on today. You know, we have people, the big news this week, of course, is the Occupy Wall Street movement, which is now spread around the world, and, and people are down there, and all the stuff's, you know, going on. I did think it was odd they choose the word Occupy, but given that I was studying about the occupation of Romans, but, um, but here they are, and what they're protesting is corporate greed, and they're really upset 
that you know people get bailed out and then they get billions and millions of dollars and you know all this sort and then all of a sudden the, the the CEOs get all these big bonuses. I mean they don't like it. It's not fair in their mind. On the other hand, you got another group of people who are going around. Well, well yeah, but those are the people who pay for all the taxes because 50% of the American people don't pay taxes and that's not fair. So you got one people who say the rich should pay more taxes because it's not fair. And you got another group of people say, well, the poor don't pay any taxes and that's not fair. And what happens as a result? Or, or you get other people protesting from the other side. <laughs> You end up with gridlock, don't you? Because everything breaks down no matter what happens. Because both people have already decided what is fair and what is right. And what Jesus is trying to do is say, you know, the problem with those kinds of approaches, is it fair to pay the emperor's tax? Is it fair that poor people don't pay taxes or the rich people don't pay as much as they ought to? is asking the wrong question altogether. Because the truth is, is all those things about fairness are human solutions to a problem. And the problem with human solutions is that they are always fallible, no matter what. You know, I was a history major in my undergraduate studies, and I've often thought that they ought to have more history majors in the government, um, because we keep doing the same kinds of things. And what we don't realize is that the the solutions of one generation are always the problems of the next generation because they're not perfect. And they always create their own set of problems, no matter what they are. I mean, people, if you remember, in World War I, Germany was defeated, and France was determined that Germany would never, ever again be allowed to conquer their country. They'd had it. And so they, they imposed reparations on them. They took away the Alsace-Lorraine, which was the major natural resources part of their country. I mean, basically, they made it impossible for the people in Germany to get by. Hyperinflation sat in where you had people actually carrying German marks in wheelbarrows to go to the grocery store because it cost so much money. I mean, the economy was, was collapsing all around them. And so this intent to make sure that Germany would never, ever rise again to you know, create war in Europe, raised up Hitler. And the world became a problem for the whole world. Because although we may mean well, maybe we have good intentions, maybe they're mixed, maybe they're not good. No matter what we do, they're still our intentions, aren't they? They're still our opinions as though somehow or other we could see the world the way it's supposed to be if everybody would just listen to us, whichever group you're in. Jesus is saying, you all have to make a decision. You need to give to the world whatever belongs to the world, but give to God whatever belongs to God. And in saying that, he requires us to make a decision. What of who I am and what I have belongs to the world. And what of who I am belongs to God? Now, what do you all think?
So it all belongs to God. See the problem? Where we run into it? But I live in the world. I mean, I'm not sure that AEP would buy that. If I, if I did that. They, they still want their payment. So how do I do that? How do I live? I was looking up some sermons to see what other people were saying about this. It's, it's stewardship time in the church. You know, they're raising money for next year's thing. And you'll be getting your stuff at the end of the week. But I, I, <laughs> you can read about it. Um, but what I thought was fascinating about it was that uh, every sermon that I read talked about how much money should you give to the church. And uh, I, kept, I thought, they missed the whole point of the thing, because all of it was, well, how much do you pay in taxes? And do you think that you should support the government more than you support the church? I thought, well, there's a lot of problems with that, not the least of which I don't have a lot of choice in whether or not I support the government, and, and I do have a choice in whether or not I support the church, but even more so, um, why has the church so, suddenly become so penultimate when you're just using it as a worldly thing. You know, why would that be the issue? That if, if I give 15% or whatever to the government, then I should give 15% or more to the church because God's more important. Because there's an assumption in there that God is the church. And I don't know if you all have noticed or not, but there's a lot of times that the church doesn't act very much like God at all. We're called to be the body of Christ, but we aren't Him. God is God. We're called to follow Him. So how are we to know then what to do to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to render to God the things that are God's? And what I would tell you is that there's really only one way to do that. You have to get to know God and you have to be talking to Him. You have to be in conversation with Him and you have to be willing to do those things that He wants you to do. Whatever it is. And if God says to you, vote this way, get this job, marry this person, you know, give away this much of your money, support your brother-in-law, support your university, support your church, whatever those things are, that's what you should do. There's no, you know, formula that comes out that says you should do this. Because the minute you get into formulas, you're back into giving to the world. And it's easy to do that with the church just as easily it is to do with anything else. How much can I afford is always the wrong question. The real question is what does God want? And it seems to me that we go to those formulas because we really want to avoid the whole question of what does God want? What does God say? So in my mind, if, if God tells you to go occupy Wall Street, you should go occupy Wall Street. If God tells you to join the Tea Party, you should go join the Tea Party. Because it's not as though God is judged by our standards. We are judged by His. And when we start judging one another by our own standards and not allowing Him to be the judge, then we are the less for it. Because we've totally forgotten that we're not called to work out one another's salvation. We are called to work out our own. And until we can really get close to God, we will never know what it is that he wants of us. So why is it so hard? 
why do we have so much trouble? It's not that God isn't willing. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens unto me, I will come in and abide with them. Why is it so hard? Well, it's hard because what if he asked me to do something I don't want to do? There it lies a rub, doesn't it? What if he says, give away all of your money like Francis did and go walk around wearing sackcloth and ashes and beg from people and give to the poor? Isn't that what we're all afraid of? But that tells you something about your fundamental belief about God. Do you honestly believe that God would not plan what is best for you? Do you honestly believe that he doesn't care about your well-being, about your long-term well-being? Because if you do, you certainly wouldn't want to do what he says. Well, you wouldn't trust him. But if you do trust him, then the only way to do those things that he calls you to do is by asking him. And he may ask you to do all kinds of things. But you do them not because it's fair or it's right or it matches your own personal opinions. You do them because he's the Lord. He's the one who created everything. He's the one who knows how it's supposed to work. You know, one of the things that I'm fond of saying is that how much of you do you want to be saved at the last day? Half of you? I mean, generally, we want the whole enchilada, don't we? Well, then maybe we need to begin to approach things from an entirely different perspective. Because actually, what does belong to God? Everything. Everything that I am, everything that I have, every opportunity that I get belongs to God. And my point, my purpose in life is to figure out how can I fulfill that which he created me to do. And then do those things to the best of my ability. And if we would do that, if all of us would do it, I don't know that we'd always agree on everything, because we'd still be fallible. But I suspect that we'd respect each other a whole lot more, and there'd be a whole lot less gridlock. Because we would be assuming that people are trying to do the best thing, rather than judging how awful they are because they don't see the truth as I know it. And when we do that, what we realize is that I'm very small in the scope of the universe, but God is very big. And he, I rather, through him, can do anything that he asks me to do because I can always trust him. And we won't have to be having all these divisions amongst us. Because we will be one. We will be the Lord's. So before we set out 